You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? Johnny Heller here, host of the Phillies Nation podcast, coming at you with another episode. This week, we're going through the 2017 season, um, all the best and worst memories from that season, all the moments. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ty Daubert, and again this week, third week in a row, we have a guest, so Ty, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, I would. Like Johnny said, I am Ty Daubert. Excited to talk about 2017 Phillies with Johnny and our guest, who is Phillies Nation's own Destiny Legardo. Destiny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. It's nice to finally be on. Yeah, we're happy to have you on. Uh, 2017, a very eventful season, just like 2012 to 2016 were as well. You know, ever since ever since the Phillies last made the playoffs, they've had some very interesting years so we're excited to talk about this one with you yeah let's uh i guess let's dive in um so 27 go ahead yeah i i think 2017 um you know of course opening day is where the season starts every year oh really (laughs) that is true and in on opening day in 2017 uh, the Phillies, their first at-bat of the season, they were in Cincinnati, I believe. Cesar Hernandez led off the season in his in the first at-bat with a home run. Uh, you know, a great way to start the season. I'm, I'm sure that fans thought then, you know, things can't go downhill from here. You know, maybe they'd hit home runs in every at-bat the whole season. Obviously, it did not go that way, but the Phillies did have a high note to start on in 2017 off the bat of Cesar Hernandez. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, um, maybe not literally that fans were expecting a home run every at bat that year, but you know, I think hopes were reasonably high in 2017, not that the Phillies would be making the playoffs, um, but that they were coming off what 72 wins in 2016, um, which was a pretty big improvement from 2015. They signed uh, some, some, I don't want to say big name free agents, but they signed free agents for like the first time in a long time. Uh, so I think, you know, pe- fans, people thought that it was something to build off of. And I think 2017 was for the most part, like a major disappointment, but yeah. Um, while we're talking about Hernandez, I just want to say, I just kind of looked this back up and realized that Cesar Hernandez was pretty good in, 2017 his best offensive season in the big leagues uh his on-base percentage that year was 373 so pretty good what you want out of your leadoff hitter uh if Cesar Hernandez could still get on base uh, with that type of uh, um you know at that clip I think that there's a good chance he's still on the Phillies he only played 128 games that year but still a 3.3 win player so I, I i think that was probably his best season as a philly and the next two seasons did not go as well for him and obviously now he is with the cleveland indians but 2017 was good for him and he got got off to a very good start for that year as well and the big thing to remember about 2017 was that was the first year where you didn't have any of the 
like 2008-ish guys on the team, like Howard, Utley, Ruiz. Um, so it was a big kind of transition to these like new crop of players. Um, and Cesar was one of those players. Um, I remember that at bat, like he had like a full count um, and it was a pretty good at bat too. Yeah. Cesar Hernandez hit nine home runs this year, interestingly. So he, uh, I mean, I think the net, like you mentioned, Ty, that he, um, his on-base percentage was higher that year than it was any other year of his career. But I think he, that was also the highest, I take it all back. That was the Yeah, highest his slugging, slugging percentage, percentage was the highest of his career. Yeah, and he hit nine home runs. I guess he's he's never been uh, much of a, an extra base hit, not, not even a doubles guy, really. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. Um, I guess we can go into something else. Uh, I will talk a little bit about, like I mentioned, the Phillies, you know, signed a free agent this year, which, uh, you know, they hadn't really done the previous two seasons other than the low, like the, uh, small names and, and small, I think the biggest move they made was probably the Hellickson trade, like during the rebuild, um, to bring in someone uh, before this. So they signed... Did disrespect, uh, you know, Aaron Harang? I... Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> surely. Um, but they signed Michael Saunders. I think it was a one-year, eight-and-a-half million-dollar contract. I think it was eight. Uh, eight? Okay. And there was an option for the second year. And... You know, Saunders is one of those guys who had been kind of a hot and cold guy. Um, I think the year before, was he an all-star? And then he got really cold um, the rest of the year. He was Uh, an all-star the year before, two years before, something like that. um, And, yeah, so the Phillies signed him, kind of put him in the middle of the lineup, expecting him to be this guy who could help produce runs. And then uh, he came out the gate struggling really really struggling and um you know it lasted one month and then it lasted another month and all of a sudden it was the middle of june um and you know the phillies had spent a reasonable amount of money on this guy and he wasn't producing and uh i remember at a press conference matt clintock said that uh he was a guy who would be cold and then he would get hot and you know if if he got hot he could carry your team not not for a few games not for a week for a whole month michael saunders will carry for your team for a month and i i think you know maybe you know people took this to literally saying you know clintac defending himself saying this guy is going to turn it on like soon or whatever but um it didn't really matter because he released him a week later so that was uh, he DFA'd pretty, him and then okay. released him. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty fun saga, definitely the Michael Saunders saga. Yeah, he never, you know, that month never came. Maybe it was August. Maybe you know, could you imagine if, uh, you know, the Phillies, obviously later in that season, we'll talk about this a little later. Uh, they brought up Reese Hoskins. Imagine in September or something, you got Reese Hoskins and Michael Saunders both clicking. Uh, in 2017, it could have been could have a fun ride. 27 Yankees right there. That's Murderer's Row, part two. <laughs> Michael Saunders and Reese Hoskins, the next Ruth Gehrig type of before. <laughs> the month never came, though. They, you know, they didn't give him a chance. They didn't give him a chance. 
They didn't give him a shot. And yeah, he played. He went back to Toronto and played 12 games, and he has not played again. So, Michael Saunders. It's a very funny, like, rebuild event, like, to kind of say that a player is someone you could build around and then DFA them a week later. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't was a great look, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Klentak is going to, you know, protect the guy who he brought in, the marquee player. I, yeah. I'm literally sitting here using air quotes when I say that because it's an $8 million contract, but, you know, who they else did they sign that? Yeah, they, they signed Pat Neshek and they signed Clay Buckholtz. And, and they traded for Howie Kendrick. They did trade for Cowie Hendrick. Ha, ooh, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> they they traded <laughs> they traded uh, Darnell Sweeney and Darren Ruff for Howie Kendrick and um, I think Sweeney was the player they got in the Utley trade, correct? Yeah, I think you're correct. Yeah, you're right. So and then and they traded then they traded Kendrick to the Nationals for, for Mackenzie, Mackenzie Mills and then they traded well 2018 they traded Mackenzie Mills for arguably one of the Greatest first baseman in Philly's history, Justin Bohr. Um, Justin Bohr wasn't even the greatest first baseman in the three first baseman Phillies lineup. He was like the fourth. Be- he was like the best fourth. He was the fourth best first baseman in that lineup, and he was the one playing first base. But more on that next week. Um, Destiny, do you have like a moment you want to talk about? I do. Um, this is kind of going all the way to the end of August, but in my opinion, this is the greatest triple play. In Philly's history, I don't know if a lot of other people will agree. Um, so against the Cubs, it's the fifth inning. Nick Pavetta's in trouble, as he usually is. Um, Javier Baez lines to left. Reese Hoskins makes this really awkward catch that people don't really know is a catch yet. And he's kind of like surprised, like, oh, did I really catch that? Um, and then he throws the second. He gets the second out, Anthony Rizzo. Then he throws a first, and then somehow that's a triple play, and the inning's over. Um, I think that's one of the probably the best Reese Hoskins left field moment. And there's a lot of them, actually. Yeah, he kind of he like kind of Jason worthed his his wrist and then but he didn't break it. You know, uh, whenever he even made him. like a like a simple catch in left field, it looked like he broke his either his wrist or his ankle. Like <laughs> he just one of the most entertaining like position player like pairings is Reese Hoskins in left field. Yeah, Hoskins said this on the I was just watching this. He said this on the Talking Baseball podcast with John Boy that he played like 3 games in left field in the minors before he got called up to the big leagues. So it's not like he was very experienced in that regard, but they did put him out there and he started that triple play. But like I said, he he made that catch awkward with the wrist and everything, and then he went to take it out of his glove and he just dropped it, and everybody thought that it landed on the ground, but it didn't. So yeah. they pulled they pulled a triple play that was on Players Weekend, wearing the the alternate jerseys. I really jersey? like those jerseys. Did you guys? How do you I guys like feel those. about those jerseys? Johnny Johnny I'm even paid anti, on the other day. I'm anti those player jerseys. I think the 2019 players jerseys weekend jerseys were the best ones. Everyone's sleeping on them. Oh my god. They were fire. The players didn't even like them. The Cubs didn't even wear the hats. Okay. I liked them. So, you know. Did Hoskins they, even they have a nickname on on his back in 2017? He probably didn't. He probably was up too late. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not yeah. really sure. Yeah. 
Um, that was yeah. a better triple play than Brunlet. Yeah, I mean, everyone, anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that I really, really thoroughly enjoyed watching Reese Hoskins play left field. Um, just as Ty and Destiny were saying, like, it was just so awkward. And he would, you know, he would make plays, but it, it never looked, he never looked comfortable, and it was always just, I don't know. It was, it was fun to watch, and honestly, this play was mostly just a result of pretty bad base running, and the play, uh, the base runners not realizing that he actually caught it, but still counts. So it wasn't even bad base running because kind of live, it did look like he dro- he didn't catch the ball. <laughs> he he came up and the ball was on the ground, so I don't know if you can even blame them. Fair enough. A bad luck for the Cubs runners, in my opinion. Yeah. Just kind of an accident. Like, most triple plays are. The only triple plays that have any skill are, like, the around-the-horn triple plays. Unassisted triple plays and triple plays uh, yeah. like Hoskins, like, they're just luck. Yeah. We, we talked about this last pod. We did. We we really did. Um, yeah. What's next? Ty, you got it. Oh, I got it? Yeah. Um, give me a second to think. You know, while we're talking about Hoskins, we could talk about his run at the end of the season. Let's do it. So, Phillies call him up. I forget exactly when. I think it's late August to early September. It was Yeah, it was like towards the end of August. Yeah, so the Phillies call Reese Hoskins up. Uh, I'll find the day here. On August 10th. Made his debut as a left fielder. And, you know, at at the beginning, he wasn't exactly great, you know, the first couple games. But then he went off. He went absolutely off. And down the stretch, he was pretty clearly the Phillies' best, um, the Phillies' best hitter. So much that even only... After he debuted in mid-August, he finished fourth in Rookie of the Year voting. And he was the fastest to hit, how many was it, 18 home runs. 18 home runs in 34 games. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's so ridiculous. Uh, So, yeah, Hoskins went on that home run stretch. uh, 118 at-bats, 18 home runs. I saw one of them in person off, I believe it was Kyle Hendricks on that player's weekend and the Phillies, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, got beaten pretty badly, but Reese Hoskins kept that streak going of hitting home runs. So, and then he didn't hit a home run for the last 16 games of the season. He hit that 18th one and never, uh, never hit another one. Um, It was a taste of like the best and worst of Reese Hoskins really like streaky, like, kind of the, the best player on the field and then, you know, struggling really badly. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that too. It was like a, a, a sign of what was to come um, for his career. Obviously it was, this was the stretch of 34 games was probably the best hot, hot stretch of his, of his life. Um, and I think we probably just saw the worst gold stretch of his life um, at the end of 2019, but Definitely one of the streakier players in the league, but at this point, um, you know, I think people were starting to starting to realize that Freddie Galvis was not a player to build around. Well, you know, it that had been known, um, but that Michael Franco might not be a player to build around. Um, 
so you know this kind of ignited some life into the fan base i think and it was you know it made a, a team that was on pace to they won 66 games they were out of the race by the middle of the summer it made it pretty exciting to, to watch some games down the stretch so that's uh reese hoskins yeah i and you know maybe that stretch just like we talked about last pod with Velasquez's second start as a Philly maybe the stretch uh, kind of made people's expectations a little too high uh for Hoskins he's pretty clearly overall a good baseball player and someone who can be a productive hitter for you but I'm not sure if he's uh you know a, a superstar type of hitter and 2017 might have maybe tricked a few people into thinking that that's what he is, but I don't think that's what he is and that's okay. But, you know, you, like you said, you saw, you saw a lot of good from him. You showed, he showed what he can do, but it would clearly not be like that all the time, but nonetheless, a really outstanding star for Reese Hoskins. One of the better starts to a career in the history of the major leagues. Yeah. I mean, like you said, um, it kind of, might might have changed people's expectations for him to a point that was too high. But I also think it, it, it changed what people thought exactly he was as a player. Like, I don't think Reese Hoskins is, is a super typical power hitter. Like, I don't think he's like a 40 home run guy. Really? I think he's, I don't know. He's more like Joey Votto than Ryan Howard, if that makes sense. No, I agree with you. His on base skills are what makes him, uh, so different i think yeah. and he's not going to he's not going to hit 50 home runs you know and that's most totally likely. fine yeah, yeah exactly you could, even, you could make a case that joey Votto is a hall of famer so yeah but, for sure because he hoskins, is he should be that's <laughs> yeah hoskins uh just his on-base skills are really his calling card i'd say and the homers are are great he needs to be able to hit extra base hits to be truly valuable uh you know because He's not fast enough to afford to just hit the ball softly and things like that. But, um, yeah, like you said, I think people you, – because you, you saw it in in twenty eight parts of 2018 and 2019 where people become upset that Hoskins isn't hitting more home runs and he isn't as aggressive and things like that. And maybe those criticisms are fair, but at the same time, I think his patience and I are – his calling cards, really. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, so moving on to kind of talk about another guy who had a bit of a hot stretch. Um, and this is somewhat forgotten now uh, based on what's happened in this player's career since. But the first two months of, of Aaron Altair's 2017 season were pretty unreal. Um, you know, he was pretty good in 2015 uh when he was called up in like august and then 2016 he was hurt and when he did play he was not productive and then he came up 2017 um playing in the outfield and he i mean the first let me see the first 36 games he had an ops over a thousand um sitting home runs getting on base a lot so it was another guy who you know watching him you thought maybe he could be uh you know another piece 
to a, a future, you know, a good, a good core for a future playoff team. Um, some refer to him or referred to him as the German Mike Trout. I won't name names, but it was um, me in 2017 who called him that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he, I mean, he wasn't that good the rest of the season. We still finished with an OPS of 8.56. He was still a really good offensive player. Yeah, he was awesome. Like, uh, really just a breakout stretch that never really became much else, but he was definitely very good in 2017. Seemed like 2017, it was just the, the year of the breakout for the Phillies. Yeah. Year of the breakout that kind of wouldn't go anywhere afterwards, sadly. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about, on this pod, we've talked about Michael Franco's 2015. We've talked about Vince Velasquez's first, yeah, second start as a Philly. What, what would you guys, what do you guys think is the biggest tease of the, of the rebuild Phillies of all of these, you know, moments or stretches any player has had? What is the biggest one that uh, the player turned out to be a, a letdown? I would say the Vince Velasquez game. Um. I don't think it's the Vince Velasquez game, uh, just simply because it was one game. I, I think Franco is probably the one that I would go with because there was so much so much hope for him, and it looked uh, over that 2015 rookie season that he might be a cornerstone type of player, and clearly that did not work out as he is not on the Phillies any longer. Yeah, I think... I mean, I think Velasquez, like, yeah, he had the the start that was unreal. Um, but he was also just that was his best season as a Philly. So I think that season as a whole could also be considered a tease. Um, but I do agree that Franco, just because he was a, a top prospect and there was a lot of hype around him coming up, and then he comes up and um, you know plays really well, and then you know what, four season, four consecutive seasons of disappointment. But, yeah, yeah. I'd agree, like I said. Um, but definitely, you know, there's cases to be made for a bunch of those guys. The Phillies just had a lot of guys that did not pan out the way that they might have uh, looked at the beginning of their careers or in their breakout stretch. Yeah, uh, one more thing on Altair. He did hit a grand slam off of Clayton Kershaw, becoming the first player to do so. I don't know if anyone has done so since, but um, that was in the middle of September. Um, You know, just a a pretty exciting moment, again, for a team that was way out of the conversation. But, um, I don't know, it was a a cool moment. It's so much fun to see, like, a a really bad team in any sport like beat like one of the best teams and I think that like that whole Dodgers series at the end of the season is kind of the epitome of that yeah for yeah. sure um, um what next I'll I'll go again if you guys are good with that go yeah. ahead um I'm gonna go with in 2017 the Phillies brought up JP Crawford for the first time Crawford was one of the best prospects in baseball, ranked uh, the highest. He was a shortstop at the time, but he also 
played some third base and, and uh, you know, to get some playing time with Galvis um, at short. And there's a lot of hype around J.P. Crawford. Uh, obviously, it did not work out exactly. The, they traded him away in the deal for Gene Segura along with Carlos Santana. But, yeah, I mean, J.P. Crawford was – he was um, – Oh, also, this is a random thought. The biggest tease during the rebuild is Dominic Brown. Anyway, J.P. Crawford, <laughs> JP Crawford another, another really hyped prospect. They're most hyped since Dominic Brown. That's what made me think about it. And he came up, which was exciting uh, for the Phillies, but never really panned out the way that they thought. Uh, I think he was expected to be the starter. In 2018, he, you know, he got some some playing time in 2017, but never really worked out for the Philadelphia Phillies, and now he's on the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, um, so you know, we talked about it last week. I think at one point Crawford was ranked, and wasn't he like a top five prospect? Yeah, I uh, think he he was definitely three at one point on most lists. Yeah. So this is like a little side tangent, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. It's a story I enjoy telling. Um, I went to, this was summer of 2017, um, went to a Blue Claws game to see Sixto Sanchez pitch, which I guess we can talk a little bit about him. Obviously he, the Phillies signed him a few years prior or a couple years prior for what, $30,000. And he, came out of nowhere, and I think 2017 was when, well, 2016 in, like, Rookie League and low A, and then um, 2017, he started to break out. Anyways, um, so I went to the game, and then somehow through Twitter realized that Keith Law was sitting right behind me. Keith Law, who wrote for ESPN Insider, now writes for The Athletic, and um, I went up and talked to him about the Phillies prospects for a while, and I was um, pretty surprised to hear what he said about J.P. Crawford. He he said basically, even though he had been towards the top of his rankings at the beginning of the season, he just kind of looked lost in the field and lost to the plate, and he had like fallen out of his top 50, and he didn't really know what he was as a major league player. So I think, you know, Ty, like you said, um, J.P. Crawford didn't end up being what the Phillies had thought he would be, but I think it, it started in the minors, and, um, you know, maybe – Maybe it was it. Part of it leads back to we talk about this sometimes the, the Phillies' ability to develop players. Um, um, and I don't know, but I just thought that was interesting. And yeah, JP Crawford. They they still called him up in 2017, but he never really panned out. Uh, Destiny, what do you have for us next? So on that same night that JP Crawford debuted, Ben Lively pretty much took over the game. Um, he hit a an opposite field home run off of Jacob deGrom of all people. And he scored four runs and he pitched seven innings. Um, and it's weird in that season, um, Ben Lively raked. Yeah. Ben Lively did rake. So, I mean, yeah, Ben Lively, they got in the Marlin bird trade, correct? I think. Yes. Um, and I was looking at, on baseball reference, before we start recording, and I realized Ben Lively, um, I, how many games did he start this year? He started, so he started 15 games, so he got plenty of at-bats. Well, not plenty, but a few at-bats, and he had uh, a higher OPS than Freddie Galvis and Michael Franco. Um, you know, just 
You know, we we do love pitchers who can rake. Um, you gotta. You, yeah, you have to. It's one of the best parts of baseball. But, I, I'd uh, still be I'd still be fine um, with a DH though. Well, yeah, I, I don't think we will ever see baseball without a DH again. I think because I think this is a tangent, but I think you know if they play the season, that's one of the the rules that looks like it looks like it's going to be in place, especially with 29 man rosters. Um, and I think if that starts, it'll just stick, you know? So might be at the end of an era, but Ben Lively did hit a couple home runs that year. And, you know, he, another guy who did not pan out as a Philly. I don't know who really expected him to, but you know, it's fun while it lasted. And the first home run he hit, it was in Arizona. And I remember, that was also an opposite field home run and a guy caught the ball in that pool area and he had like a plate of food in his hands. And it was probably one of the best like fan catches I've ever saw. I love a good fan catch. Like it's one of my favorite things in baseball. Um, I love when people catch foul balls in their cup of beer. I think that's hilarious. And then they drink it. Um, I like when people (laughs) are, holding their babies like (laughs) there's there's some where like one person like is maybe a dad holding a baby and they catch the foul ball on the other hand and then their spouse is usually like why did you just go all out for that foul ball when you're holding our baby uh which is a fair (laughs) fair question but i think you should if you're ever holding a baby at a baseball game you should definitely go for the foul ball because it makes for good video as long as you can keep everyone safe protect your child still i do think yes like the the one thing that always crossed my mind is going to baseball games growing up and still you know like if you don't think once or twice during a baseball game about like how awesome it would be if you you caught a foul ball or or a home run wherever you're sitting and like seeing yourself on sports center that night like i don't know if you're a real baseball fan because i i think about that at least like eight times every every time i'm at a game it's all, it's all I've really ever wanted, but... Yeah. <laughs> Fan catches are awesome. They're, they're, they're just great. They are great. Wonderful. Johnny, do you usually go early for batting practice? Um, No, uh, I think... Ugh, I, I, I used to, and then I realized, like, I don't really want to ball that bad. Like, uh, people are a little, a little crazy at <laughs> batting practice sometimes. It's a little too crazy for my taste, so I... I just take what I can get when I'm there, you know. Um, I feel that. It seems fun, but then you realize, like, this is kind of for the kids, and yeah. I'm in my 20s, and exactly. I, I really don't need it. Exactly. Yeah, I used to go when I was younger, but... My uh, favorite... Hold on. My favorite fan catch video, I just remember this. It's this kid in Indians game, I think, and there's a foul ball, like, hit on the ground. He's in the first row, first base side. And he catches the ball. It's rolling. I think he like catches it in his glove or in a hat or something. And he looks at Miguel Cabrera and starts taunting him. <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, like I got that ball. Like I'm out here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna catch these." Miguel Cabrera like gave him a look and laughed. And then he came out and he gave him his batting gloves and a bat. It was so awesome. Oh, yeah, that's but the great. kid, the kid started screaming at Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> it was so funny. That is great. If uh, if anyone was watching a, a game, Nats Phillies game in late September of 2018, you would have seen me and a couple of my roommates sitting down the first base line, 
uh, we grabbed a foul ball and I threw it to a kid and when they, they were talking about us on the broadcast, you know, no big deal. Just being a good human, but Johnny's that, for the kids. I, I really am. Were you wearing, uh, uh, what shirt were you wearing that day? I was wearing a, my Tim Tebow Eagles Jersey. <laughs> it, is a, it was a youth extra large. Yeah, you know, I'm a freshman in college and wearing a youth extra large Tim Tebow jersey, but it was twelve dollars. I had to get it. Um and then so I so I throw the ball to the kid and the kid's dad I, starts taunting me like Tebow, Tebow, why are you wearing that jersey? And I was like, dude, I just gave your kid a ball. You should have <laughs> took the ball really, back. Are you really picking on me? No, it was it was all just, you know, in good fun, but yeah, that was it's the only time I got a foul ball like in a real baseball game. Um, if you remember the date of that, I'll like grab that and post it on Twitter. I will. I have a video of it, but it's like a poorly shot video. But um, anyways, moving forward, because we've gotten on a couple side tangents, but um, we do have to talk a little bit about Mark Leiter Jr. Um, he did, did not contribute too much to this team he appeared in let me see uh i guess he he appeared in 27 games started 11 uh but a couple weeks ago uh me and ty rediscovered a clip from a podcast from our own tim kelly um back in 2017 and tim said that what did what exactly did he say he said that that mark Mark leiter jr jr he basically said like he's a useful pitcher um, and then he was given some some pushback on that, and then he claimed that Mark Leiter Jr. would be on the Phillies. Um, he'd be part of the Phillies pitching staff the next time they won a, a championship. Yeah. So he was he even on the team the next year. Yeah, he was. He he appeared in twelve games. Twelve games. They, they either released him or traded him, and then he did not pitch in twenty nineteen. So, you know. Tim might not be wrong. There's still time for it to happen, but it would have to be a pretty remarkable comeback or, you know, unconventional way. But I feel like we definitely had to mention that. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, another thing I wanted to talk about, this was earlier in that season, 2017, uh, Hector Neris in a game against the Dodgers, April 29th. He gave up three, was it three straight? Home yeah, runs to the Dodgers. Yes. It was uh, what? Justin Turner, Yasiel Puig, and Bellinger. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so three straight home runs, uh, in blowing the save for the Phillies. Uh, in that third of an inning pitched, uh, you know, it was still early in the season. But Neris's ERA, looking at baseball reference here. He entered the game 2.19 ERA. He faced five batters, and his ERA jumped up to 4.97. So it went up, went up almost like three full runs for Hector Neris there. Um, yeah, that was that, that outing was just rough. The Dodgers and Hector Neris have always um, – Oh, my gosh. They've been kind of rough. They had a that run in last season where Neris closed it out. And, and they, they he taunted them a little bit. And then he was ejected in a game with them for throwing at a batter. Uh, just all kind of fun stuff. Hector Neris yeah. and the Dodgers. Um, I feel like, uh, well, first I'll say that Neris had a pretty good 
good 2017. Obviously, his his 2018 was not good. Like he, got he was good down. once. He, yeah, he was good after he got called back up. Yeah. Though. Um. But was why can I? I was this was this the year that um Edubre Ramos gave up a walk off to Estrubal Cabrera? Um, I believe so. I believe it was the year, because Asgrubo Cabrera was on the Phillies in 2018, and I think he hit that walk-off the year prior. Yeah. Um, however, I cannot find it, so maybe not. Um, but anyways, while, while thinking about this, I'll move to something else. Um, probably my favorite game from the season, uh, it was... Game that was in twenty. That was in twenty sixteen. Okay, so we should have talked about it last week. We didn't. Basically, Astro Cabrera hit a walk off home run against Edubre Ramos, and really, you know, bat flip pimped it. It was awesome. Whole big thing. Yeah, yeah. If you li- if you like baseball, in my opinion, if you like baseball, you like you know people who will show off a little bit when the time is right, and that was definitely a time when the time was right. Uh, but anyways, um, so. The Phillies had, um, you know, one of their home-and-home, home, I'll call it, series against the Red Sox, two in Fenway and two at Citizens Bank Park all the same week. And the last game of that uh, was at Citizens Bank Park. It was Chris Sale, who the Red Sox acquired that offseason, uh, going against Nick Pavetta, who the Phillies had called up. Um, I think he had made a few starts. Yeah, uh, he got called up at the end of April. Yeah, and he was... He had not looked great. Um, he was really dominant in Lehigh Valley AAA, but he had not looked all that great in as a, in the majors. And, you know, going up against this really, really good Red Sox lineup, you know, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, Benintendi, all these guys, uh, he threw a gem, um, the best, I think, of his 2017 season and of his major league career to that point, seven innings pitched, no runs, nine strikeouts. Um, however, was still scoreless going into the bottom of the eighth because you know, Chris Sale, great pitcher. Um, and then uh, I don't know where the two outs and Ty Kelly got a go ahead double, go ahead RBA double that scored um, Andrew Knapp, and the Phillies took the lead and they won the game. Uh, that was just kind of a remarkable remarkable game. Destiny talked a little bit earlier about how fun it is to watch bad teams beat good teams and, you know, players who aren't as good beat players who are really good. And this was a prime example of that. Sports are all about upsets. And Ty Kelly's, you know, hit there. That was the ultimate upset. Yeah. Andrew Knapp, an underrated base runner. He's pretty fast. I think there was a play last year, 2019, uh, did Real Muto have like a pinch hit triple or something against the Cubs and Andrew Knapp scored from first on it? Something like that. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Where uh, like they that might the have innings game. I can't remember, but they might have the two fastest catchers in baseball. If not, like they're definitely up there. Yeah. Um. Another little side tangent. I was doing a little uh, this weekend. You know, no baseball on, no sports on, nothing really to do. Uh. So I, I was searching some up some Phillies on Max Preps, which is a website that tracks high school sports. And um, Andrew Knapp was played 
corner and punt returner at his high school, which is interesting to see. Definitely a, a, an athlete. Obviously, we always talk about how JT Romuto was an athlete. He was a quarterback at his high school. But Knapp, another athlete. And like Ty said, two, maybe two of the fastest catchers in the game. Um, yeah. If you look up my max preps, <laughs> you'll see. You'll see that uh, I had like a 250 career batting average, something oh. like that. Do they do they track swimming on max preps? Because that that is the only way you would find me there. Or JV tennis, as I mentioned last week. But, <laughs> JV uh, tennis, yes. Yeah, humble brag, you know, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal to you. No. 400, four hundred, you know, it says here that I had a four hundred on base percentage in thirteen games played. Well, big big. I didn't edge. make it out of rec ball, so you guys have at least something. I hit only singles though, so you know, six fifty OPS, not great. Yikes, that is that is really not great. But uh, I'm on, I'm on your page right now. It doesn't look like you were ranked. Um, oh yeah, your national rank uh, seven thousand five hundred fifty-seven. Not, not bad. bad. <laughs> that is not bad. So it says scouts, here I'm I'm listed at five ten, which is <laughs> they're giving me a little bit there. If any scouts are listening, uh, Ty, are you still do you still consider yourself active? Like are um, you are you are you still ready to go? Are you are you an active ball player? I mean, or I have four I have, I have four years of uh, college eligibility eligibility left. So, I mean, if anybody wants to wants to hit me up, I'm not. Or, yep, major league drafts coming up in a couple months. Maybe you don't need to go to college, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm also listed as a right-handed pitcher, which is funny. Knuckleballer, without a doubt. Um, yeah, so do you guys have anything else from 2017? Um, yeah, I have one last thing. Last game of the season. I opened up with the first game of the season. Last game of the season, the Phillies had already announced that Pete McCannon would not return as manager the next season. He would be around the organization as uh, some kind of advisor or something else. But he um, he was not coming back last game of the year. The Phillies fans give Pete McCannon a standing ovation. He gives Terry Collins a big hug uh, before the game. Uh, Got to give him a shot. And it's, it's the the end of an era of Phillies baseball. Pete McCannon no longer. They would obviously hire Gabe Kapler that offseason. Um, and that was a whole different experience. So, yeah, yeah Pete McCannon. Pete McCannon. Yeah, so uh, another little side tangent. I feel like we've done this a lot tonight, but... Uh, me and my dad went to, I don't remember exactly when they announced McCann and wouldn't be going back, uh, but me and my dad went to a game and we were both interviewed by NBC Sports Philly uh, for our reaction. And my dad um, was like, oh, definitely going to miss him. I think he was a great manager. And then they went to me and I was like, eh, I think he kind of stunk. Um, I think it was the right call. <laughs> and then and then turn on the TV the next day and they put my dad's on there and didn't put mine. And I was so mad because, you know, I thought I was right. But uh, anyways, I don't know how we made it this far without mentioning the Pete McCannon quote on Aaron Nola um, after Nola's last start of the year. You know, after he had he no Aaron Nola had a really, really good stretch the second half of 2017 after a pretty discouraging 2016 and not a great start to the 2017 season. Um, he started to really look like um an ace level pitcher, maybe a number two, but like not to beat. Yeah. So Pete McCannon after Nola's last start said, and quote, Nola has really established himself to me. He's a 
solid number three starter. And <laughs> you know, I talk- like how he said like he really established himself. Like he was about he was hyping him up and called him a three. It's so funny. It's just we talked about we talked about it each of the last two weeks. I mean last week we talked about the quote on Tyler Goodell. It's like, you know, I don't I, I think McCannon was a, a pretty fine manager, but some of the, the stuff he said about his players, um, it was a little, you know, puzzling just because you, you want to, you know, hype up your players a little bit. Maybe Gabe Kapler did that to a fault, like Ty talked about last week, but calling Aaron Nola a three after what he put together in 2017 was borderline disrespectful. And then he put up one of the, the very next season, put up one of the best, uh, Single season pitching shows. seasons in, in Philly's history, like, oh man, what a, what a, what a turn of events, what a statement by Pete McCanna. It's really bizarre considering that Nola had a really good stretch in the summer and he was your top war guy. It's just, I guess, like a lame duck manager kind of saying whatever he kind of feels like saying. He said whatever he felt like saying before <laughs> he, always, he yeah, was lame duck. That's a good point. He he really always did. Um, Got to yeah. respect that. You you really do. You have to respect the guy who just says what's on his mind. Um, I kind of wish Gabe Kapler did that a little bit more. I think, yeah. Unless, like, maybe the things that he said were actually on his mind. Like, maybe he really was that Well, bad. do you remember what Kapler said about Nick Williams after the season ended? Uh, I don't Yeah, I don't yeah, that was in an article from The Athletic. The Athletic. Uh, I don't I don't remember the exact quote, but he basically was like, yeah, this guy stunk. That's why I didn't play no, him. He was like, he was like, yeah, in the article, he said, apparently he said, um, basically like Nick Williams, he was wondering why he wasn't playing. I wish I could have just been like, cause you're bad. <laughs> cause you're not good at baseball. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was, that's yeah. what he said. Wow. Williams, who came up in another guy who came up in 2017 and played pretty well. Um, obviously, Another guy who has not really panned out, but I feel like we should mention that. Um, Destiny, Ty, anything else from 2017? I'm good on the 2017 Phillies. I think we talked uh, Are you about enough about the Jeremy Guthrie game? Oh, yes. Oh, you're right. How did we forget? How did we forget? <laughs> I talked about it right before we started recording. Johnny, uh, you want to go ahead and hand sure. this one? Sure. Or- uh, yeah, so April 8th. Uh, Jeremy Guthrie's birthday, actually, uh, making his first start. I didn't know that. <laughs> Happy birthday! Making making his first start with his uh, with his new team, Washington Nationals. So he had he hadn't pitched in a major since 2015 um, when he was with the Royals. So it came up, lasted two thirds of an inning, gave up ten runs. Uh, the Phillies <laughs> ended up scoring twelve runs, I think, in that first inning. Uh, it was pretty remarkable. And Jeremy Guthrie never pitched in the majors again. He retired with a, uh, or he left that season with an ERA of 135. And that's that's just how it went. Um, 54 walks per nine, you know. Eight of those runs were also in two outs. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, it was a, a long rally. Um, I I barely remember um, that game. I don't know why. I did not watch it. I remember getting the notifications on my phone, but I didn't watch it live. Um, Jimmy yeah. Guthrie, poor guy. Poor guy. Um, Howie Kendrick also tripled in that game, and his slide was super 
awkward. It was really funny. Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick turning into a postseason hero is... I mean, he, he was good that year, and you wonder if the Phillies could have gotten any more for him, which they probably couldn't have, but he's just been like consistently good since 2017. Um, which, like, he's literally had... I'm looking at it now. He's literally had the three best offensive seasons of his career, 2017, 18, 19, at 33, 34, and 35 years old, and he hit a game-winning Grand Slam, in the NL, or, yeah, the NLDS, and a game-winning... Uh, was it game-tying, or... Was it go-ahead, the homer? I think that was go-ahead. I think yeah, it was go-ahead. It, it made it 3-2, I think. It was a two-run. Um, but, yeah. That's what's ahead. great about the postseason. Just yeah. some of these guys that, that pop up and have big games, it's really awesome. It, it is. And it is it is remarkable how much it changes like the landscape of free agency. Like Is Nathan Eovaldi really getting $64 million, $68 million if he doesn't just – you know, pitch out of his mind during no. a Red Sox World Series run. Yeah, no, um, no, he's not. Uh, didn't didn't like Steve Pierce get yeah. paid? Who reti- he retired today or yesterday, um, but he did get a year, a pretty nice one year contract out of that. Yeah, six million. He he, he was not getting six million before the yeah. postseason. Well, didn't he didn't he hit for the cycle in an ALDS game too? I don't know. He was the World Series MVP. He was the World Series MVP. That's true. It should have been David Price. Yeah, yeah, should have. He talked about a guy changing his uh, narrative around. Um, but anyways, the 2017 Phillies. Anything else before we wrap things up? I'm good. Destiny? I'm good. It was a pretty exciting season, though. The record was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it was It was not a, a great uh, year record-wise, which makes it, I mean, we'll talk about this next week. It makes it kind of remarkable that they were able to add what 14 wins to their win total um yeah but yeah um thanks everyone for listening thank you destiny again for coming on um taking the time really enjoyed it and um talk to everyone next week about the 2018 phillies you can listen to the phillies nation podcast with ty daubert and johnny heller every wednesday on philliesnation.com all streaming services.